Welcome everybody to another episode of Our Roots and Tea after a long hiatus. So this is a podcast where we discuss life topics, growth mindset, positivity with a dose of spirituality and philosophy. And it is a bit of tradition here that we drink tea while we talk. And I'm drinking today, I'm drinking the, oh, I mean, eh, they can't see it on the screen, but it's okay. Uh, I'm drinking the lemon ginger tea with a dash of honey, and it's it's fantastic. So, and the tea also has a very common effect, um, is what I've gathered, and that's kind of the reason why we do this. Now to kind of get to our guest. So today my guest, his name is Robert Campagna, a very, very experienced TV and story producer. Um, he's done. He's produced series such as Ghost Hunters, Haunted, Marriage Boot Camp, um, and most recently Canvas LA for Fuse TV, a documentary series. Um, he's very experienced. Has been in the industry for over a decade. Um, so he's he you know he's kind enough to drop by and and you know discuss a little bit about his his story, his life, um, you know what he has learned, and you know his his pursuit of his dreams and 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 so forth. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for bringing me on, Darren, and I'm uh, happy to be here. And I'm also happy to drink some tea. Coffee makes me a little too anxious, and I feel tea is that right balance where it can give you the calming effects. I'm going with an herbal today, a Sri Lankan chamomile tea from my uh, old neighbors that lived in Colombo, Sri Lanka. Mm, very nice. Is it ca- is it caffeinated or? This one isn't caffeinated. I usually uh, would take like a jasmine or Earl Grey in the morning, but um, I'm at my parents' house and they are not caffeine people. So, okay. but, uh, but I'm loving the herbal these days. It really, like you said, it's relaxing and I'm in Iowa where there's snow outside. So it's perfect tea weather. Yeah. So one, one, one aspect I, I started to do um, was, so, you know, before I actually even drink the tea, I would actually kind of hold it close to me, my nose and I start smelling it actually. Just right. kind of smelling the flavor and 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 kind of, and just in some sense it's almost like putting my mind into like kind of present mode where like oh okay this tea smells great and you know wherever I am I, I I'm enjoying wherever I I I am so it's it's pretty I don't know it's a, it's a good feeling actually I feel you I think that you know since your podcast also has elements of spirituality I think the olfactory senses your smell can really bring your mind back to calming times or, you know, so many things, whether even if it's smelling like your mom's favorite dish or like a tea that's going to lead to a relaxing conversation. I'm the same way. And it also reminded me of like wine tasting when you were saying that just like wine aficionados will sniff the wine glass and they'll sift it around. Like with tea, I can, I like to smell the hints of the fruit and everything like that before I taste it. I'm, I'm the same way as you, Darren. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, because I just don't, I just feel like it's, it's a little bit, and not, I wouldn't say pointless, but but the whole point of like even drinking coffee, because coffee has flavor too. So you, right. you really want to enjoy it, right? So why would you just, you know, pour it in and drink it and just kind of like, oh, whatever. Totally. I'm with you there, 100%. Cool, cool. Sounds good, man. Um, yeah, so we'll we'll probably start off, you know, with, a little bit of your your backstory just kind of you know first question throw off is what 
you know, what was your earliest memory of when you thought to yourself, okay, this producing thing, well, not specifically for reality TV or anything, but just being in the film industry, doing film, producing, like, when did you decide that that was what you want to do? And, and why was it important for you? Yeah, you know, that's an awesome question. And it actually, I thought for a moment, I have no clue, but then it came to me and I did have that moment. I remember exactly where it was. I was driving on Highway 151, going back to college when I was probably like a junior, I believe. My dad was taking me back. It was like a five hour drive. So there's a lot of time to think and talk. And of course, it was to the point where you're starting to be at the end of your college career and you realize that it's not just about, you know, having fun, that you have to kind of figure out what you're going to do in a couple of years. And I told my dad, I thought that I really love cinema and film and I'd love to have a career in it anyway. And my dad pushed me to take a screenwriting course. My college was really liberal and you could kind of invent your own classes Mm -hmm. and uh, propose a tutorial and whatever. But unfortunately, I was too lazy and not motivated at the time. And I didn't take his advice, which would have been a, a great way to start. But at least that gave me the the aha moment where I said, if there's any way I can work in this industry, because they say, find something you love and do it, and it'll bring you joy. Um, that was the moment where I really thought I didn't want to pursue a traditional career and get a nine to five job. I wanted to work in the entertainment industry. And I thought at the time, the best path would be for me writing I didn't want to be in front of the camera I didn't really know what producing meant at that point so Mm -hmm. I just figured I'd I was a good storyteller and I could find a way in it in a creative capacity but that was really my moment I was probably 20 or 21 year old high uh, college kid that had no clue what he was going to do with his life and had this pipe dream of saying oh yeah I want to work in in film or tv and that was the moment and uh, then it was a, a journey uh, to get out to California, but that was my moment that I, I thought I wanted to do this for the rest of my life. Wow. So you, oh, that's great. You have great support from your, your dad, you know, kind of pushing you to do it. Cause if not, then you probably would have just done something like very normal. Right. <laughs> it's my guess. <laughs> I, like in high school and, and early on my dad, I come from more of a traditional family. My dad's uh, more conservative, at least with his uh, views on, on, you know, work and, and how you structure a life. So he's an attorney. Um, he's very well educated, has like master's yeah. and PhDs. And my mom was an attorney and I was never very good at the math and sciences. So my parents view of success was doctor or lawyer. And uh, since doctor was out of the table with my uh, not on the table with my math and science skills, uh, I was a pretty good in the humanities and writing. So it seemed like law school was was the path for me. Um, but when they saw that I, I didn't really want to do it, I took the the law boards, the, the LSATs they're called, and I did okay. Probably would have gotten into an average law school. Okay. But um, yeah, I didn't want to do it. And they were really supportive. I have to give my parents credit for that. A lot of parents would say, you're never going to make any money in that field and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. But they allowed me not to go into law and, and try this thing out. Well, for you, did you, I'm, you know, when you decided that, okay, that's what you wanted to do, mm-hmm. were, were there sort of like self-doubt or, or even struggle within you that you're just like, okay, I think I'm regretting this choice? Well, yeah. I mean, fast forward a little later, two years later, I finished college. I save up for a year. I was working in real estate for my first job for a really yeah 
successful realtor in my small town. Nice. Um, and he wanted me to stay. He wanted to groom me and, and probably could have made decent money. Uh, and the cost of living here is, is, is low, but I moved out to LA and I had no contacts. And my first job was at enterprise rent a car because I needed a job. Yeah. And after about a year and a half of doing that, and I, I, it was so frustrating because you're in this land of Hollywood and you think that that's where you're, you're going to get your, your start and everything. But a year and a half into my trip or my, my journey, I had no leads. I had no contacts. Um, it felt like I was living in the city. It'd almost be like being in Washington, D.C. and you wanted to get into politics, but you were waiting tables. So I felt so close yet so far. And, and it was really um, a moment of doubt. And I thought that it might never happen. And eventually I did get an opportunity through a friend and, um, and I took it, but I had a lot of self-doubt and it was really, it was fun being in a new city. I think that's what kept me going. Um, but if, it, if I had to wait another year or two to get a start, I probably would have moved on and, and, and gone to law school or something like that, to be honest. You, so you actually gave yourself a a kind of a deadline, like one, two years. I mean, isn't that kind of quick? Yeah, I wouldn't say it was a, a quote unquote deadline, but I could I could see where my mindset was at. And right. I was, if I can't get in, I need to start making better money. And Enterprise Rent-A-Car wasn't paying very well. Yeah, so, yeah it was it, it, it would have gotten to the point where I would have probably said, like, if I don't get something by 25 because I moved out at 23, I'm going to go back to school or something like that. So. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, actually, first of all, where, where are you from again? So I'm all over the place. Like I was technically born in California in, um, in San Jose area, actually born at Stanford hospital. My dad moved around a lot. He worked at the time for the motion picture association as an attorney. Uh I was born there, but I don't remember it. They moved back to New York city when I was young. Uh And then, um, and then we moved to Iowa when I was 10 years old, when my dad got a job at the university. So that's where I'm at right now. That's where my parents settled down. That's where a lot of my formative years were spent. So I'm, I'm kind of Iowa via New York is my story. Okay. Okay. And I, Iowa, I, how, how are the opportunities there? How, how is it over there? You know, in terms of, do you think you could have done what you want to do there or you just you just had to move had to move looking back at it it's really interesting because about five years ago maybe even longer iowa did develop one of those film tax incentive credits you okay. know yeah so they got a lot of uh production like you see that in georgia now um yeah. but obviously i i live in iowa city which is a college town the university's there there's about as much culture and progressive values and artistic um opportunities in the city yeah but I could have never done the things that I'm doing now, unfortunately, living in Iowa. It's mainly if you wanted to be crew, like makeup or grip and lighting, mm-hmm. they do have work for that kind of stuff. They shoot enough uh, film Iowa stuff, but to do creative stuff like I wanted to do, it, it's just not, it would have not been possible. Right, right. Um, I mean, yeah, the only thing I know about Iowa is, <laughs> is it like a lot of just kind of farming areas or just like any other Midwestern Totally. It's unfortunately, it's kind of the Midwest state that gets forgotten because it has no professional sport teams. Oh, it has no city over like a quarter million people. I think maybe it's bigger now, but for many years, Des Moines was our biggest city at 250,000. So, you know, most city, most states have like 
a, a city that has a million people at least, yeah. right? Like yeah. Indiana has Indianapolis and Chicago in Illinois and, and Wisconsin has Milwaukee, but Iowa really has no big city. And it's, it's like you said, it's known to be boring and flat. Um, but people are really nice and people that are Iowans are very proud of being Iowans though. I will have to say. <laughs> so, okay. I can see why movies kind of came to you because in a place where, you know, maybe generally is boring. So then the only thing maybe they're, they have is, you know, obviously movie theater. So you probably go watch a lot of movies, right? Is my guess. You're totally right. I mean, in fact, you just made me think of something. I w- you were asking me about the first moment I knew that I wanted to do film. And I told you about that college drive. Actually, rewind a few years back. Like I said, there wasn't much to do in this town. We would go to the movies a lot. Hmm. And I must have been a sophomore, I believe, in high school. And I saw the movie American Beauty with Kevin Spacey. Yeah. That was that affected me like no other it it you know it's a weird ass movie right if you really think about it this guy's depressed he's almost a pedophile basically because he's yeah. trying to sleep with the the friend's daughter and all yeah. this stuff. but it was really existential and philosophical and it kind of made me realize like that you don't want to waste your life crap jobs and being in stagnant situations and i didn't know it at the time but to this day it's one of my favorite movies and that literally was a movie by um, I'm blanking the same guy who wrote True Blood, Alan, Alan something, Alan Bloom, I want to say, okay. but he really, uh, I credit him with that movie with really changing my life. And like you said, that's what we did in Iowa. We went to movies, we had parties in barns. Um, <laughs> it wasn't like every kid's a farmer, but like when someone had a nice barn or a family farm and the parents were out of town, that's where you could get beers and, and everyone would congregate. So movies and, and that kind of stuff was really what I did. Oh wow, cool! Did you did you ever go to movies with like with your not well not just your dad I guess your parents or anything anything like that or just many of your friends? Yeah, and by the way, Alan Ball is the writer. Of, Alan Ball, okay. He wrote True Blood as well. Okay. So, but yeah, no, honestly, that's great questions, Darren. Uh, you're like triggering all these amazing memories in my life. <laughs> First movie I remember seeing was with my dad, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Yep. That was about the time I'm 30, late 30s now. I was must have been seven or eight in New York. So it must have been like the late 80s. And Harrison Ford, I hadn't seen the other movies, you know, because they had the Temple of Doom. And, yeah. But that was magical. And I remember seeing all the big ones. My mom would take me. I saw Arachnophobia, Edward Scissorhands, oh, yeah. uh, Major League. Like just my parents really, that was a thing that we did as well, you know, and, and that was in New York where there was a lot of stuff to do, but I guess even though my parents aren't big movie people, they saw that I liked that and they kept taking me to movies. And I guess that probably really did contribute to my love for the craft in in this industry. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I kind of sense that there's a, a, obviously a personal connection, you know, not just of, of course love for the movies, but a personal connection in terms of like, Oh, you know, this is kind of what, was bonding me with my at least with my dad or my parents and then you you know we tend to you tend to kind of hold on to that you know growing up and you're like oh you know it, that's why there, there's certain movies that maybe you you would like more than another just because of something like that too exactly exactly i tend to really i like stories about inner inner journey they call it smaller stories right okay. like um 
transformational journeys, the squid and the whale, American beauty. It's not so much like an action event, but something that internally happens with the character, which I think is more realistic about life. Like, yeah, I don't yeah. think I'm ever going to find myself in a situation like Indiana Jones, but I, but I might find myself in a, in a drama that, you know, like up in the air or American beauty or something with a midlife crisis. Or those are the things that really interest me. Right. Right. Yeah. And they're, they're more realistic. And uh, I mean, not that like something like Indiana Jones isn't, isn't valued. I mean, it is, you know, very entertaining is fun. Um, so those have its value too. Yeah. It's just, totally. It serves a purpose, right? Those are movies where you can really like forget about things for two hours and walk out and have fun. And then there's the other introspective movies where you talk about them decades later and you have philosophical conversations yeah. for an hour after the movie, stuff like that. Which by the way, was a perfect example of what I saw last night, licorice pizza. That's oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We, well, yeah, we definitely could, could talk about that, you know, you know, obviously off the off camera here. Um, but I've seen it too. And I, I do, I do have some comments about it, but you know, we, we won't get to that. We won't get to yeah. that. That's an example of a, an hour long conversation you need on that movie. Yeah. Yeah. That's a whole different conversation, <laughs> but okay. Anyways. Um, so, okay. So then, you know, you, okay. You make the decision. This is what you want to do. You know, I mean, of course you start off writing and then, you know, later on you had opportunities producing and all that. And, and so then, then you hop on on different types of projects you know, I think me, I think well, primarily in reality TV, but, but out of, you know, doing all these projects, like for you, like what, I guess, what did you learn from doing these projects? And, and are you, you know, what kind of lessons are you, you know, whatever you learn, are you applying it to real life? Well, I think, you know, my experience even though I have worked in scripted, it's mainly been unscripted. And I think the one thing that I can, like from a macro perspective yeah. that I can say is that as a, my, my, in my own personal life, one of the things that I struggle with is I always like to be in control of things. Like I'd like to be responsible and I don't, when thing, when I, when you get into a fender bender or you get a parking ticket and all that kind of stuff, that that's totally what, what grinds my gears. And what I learned in this industry is that unfortunately that that is part par for the course. So um, I learned that you, you have to let go of always being in control and you have to react to things. So for instance, uh, someone calls in sick and, and, and you're scrambling on the set or, or you're behind in time, you can't control those things sometimes, but you, you can control how you react to them. And I've applied that to my life when things are not necessarily going so great. Something happens, you set yourself up to be responsible, but something went the wrong way. Okay, you can't control that anymore. How do you react to that? And I feel like the TV and film industry is the same thing, especially in producing, because half the time we're really solving problems yeah. or, or scheduling and planning things to go smoothly. And that is kind of an analogy for life, right? You plan out your vacation, and something happens like the flight gets canceled or you're in a relationship with someone and you think it's great and then it doesn't turn out to go so well. How do you react to that? So it's a weird analogy, but I think TV and film uh, teaches you great lessons on how to handle adversity in life. Oh, very, 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 very nice. Mm -hmm. And my, and 
Well, this is a this is say in comparison to like maybe when you're younger and then now obviously being more matured and, and, and more experienced, how how do you see that now your reaction is has is different now? I I try not to take things more so personal. personal. Um, and, and that's honestly me as an individual. I I guess I've learned that I tend to be a little bit sensitive. And sometimes in this industry, you can attest that there's a lot of aggressive A-type personality sometimes. Mm. So instead of getting defensive when I'm dealing with a supervisor or a boss or someone that has a different opinion, <laughs> bless you. Excuse me. Okay, go on. I just realized it's not personal. Um, most of the time, it's probably not personal. It's not because they don't like me as a person. It's either something that they feel is needs to happen, or maybe they have their own issues. But uh, when I let go of feeling like it was a personal attack on me, if my work was criticized, I realized that I was able to grow and, and become more creative and be a better person. So they always say you need thick skin and, and this type of industry. Um, it's true. But what do you do if you don't have thick skin? I just naturally don't have thick skin. I don't like hearing things that aren't great. So I've learned to really take criticism, take it with a grain of salt. And I try to apply that to life as well. And I think that that is also um, part of my journey in this field. Oh, great, great. Yeah, yeah. Because it actually, you know, you you bring up some really good points because um, it, it sort of remind, reminded me of this one really, really short book that I read. Um, it's called, I don't know if you heard of it, it's called The Four Agreements by uh, Don Miguel Ruiz. Uh, I have heard of it. I have not read it though. Yeah. So one of his agreements, his, his agreements, you know, you could say they're advice in, in some sense, but it's actually very, it's actually very simple and straightforward, like straight to the point, but right. they're really hard to, to achieve because so one of his agreements actually is so exactly similar to what you just said is, you know, don't take, don't take, don't take anything personally. Um, but that's very difficult, right? Because, you know, for us as like, you know, kind of human nature, we, yeah. we do always tend to take everything personally, like not just like work. Right. But even, even our private lives, like, um, so for example, even something like, oh, you know, if you go on a date with some girl and then she, she rejected you, you take it personally. You think that yeah. like, you know, you actually think like, oh God, I mean, either you screw up or whatever. Right. And yes. Um, so yeah, that is really difficult. I know, I know what you mean. It's, it's, That's a great analogy. The dating is so true because it's almost like when you go for a job interview, it doesn't mean that you were bad. Yeah. Just like you're not a bad person. If the romantic person doesn't reciprocate, it's that it wasn't the right fit. So you could be a great person. You weren't right for that project. You could be a great guy. You weren't the right person for that girl. Uh, and it's so true. And I think what I remember about that book, because my friend recommended it to me, it's about, it almost seems like it has Buddhist and spiritual undertones. And it talks, I believe, about suffering and stuff, right? Like how to, how to really come to terms with that. And, and that's why, um, even though I was raised Catholic, non-practicing, but the spiritual thing that I tend to uh, identify most with is Buddhist type mentalities and that those types of books I think are, are great because they kind of remind you. I, re I recently read The Little Prince uh, for the first time in a long time. And uh, it's a fictional narrative, but it's really 
it's a Buddhist existential message about your per- finding your personal joy and your personal happiness and, and not taking offense when things don't go your way or when people don't see you in the way that you hope to be seen. And that's a big thing, right? We hope to be seen a certain way. Yeah. And then the reality is sometimes other people don't see you the way that you want to be seen. And that's, that's the truth. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we all want our, our voice to be heard, right? I mean, the reason why we, uh, we have such a craze for, you know, followers for, for likes and stuff, social media, right? Because that's the one way to be seen and, and to be heard. Right. Exactly. Exactly. That is like, yeah, that, that social media is serving that purpose now. It has other toxic elements, but at least you're right that you can get your voice out and be heard, you know, whether it's to a hundred of your friends or for people who have hundreds of thousands of followers. Okay. Um, actually, it's interesting. You just brought up how, you know, you're, um, I guess, raised or grew up like Catholic and then but you have a little bit more of the intrigue and Buddhist um, uh, uh, concepts. I mean, it's interesting because those two are, are kind of opposite, isn't it? Like sort of opposite or conflicting a little bit. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> I would, there's some really interesting elements of Christianity, but I guess my, in the grand scheme of things, what I can't get into, and I've even gotten into other spiritual movements like the self-realization fellowship by Paramahansa Yogananda. And I took away meditation from that, which we can get into later, but yeah, Catholicism doesn't work for me for many reasons, because A, um, I've seen firsthand some of the atrocities of the Catholic Church, you know, like with, with sex abuse scandals and stuff. But B, it's like, you know, it's too literal. And I'd probably argue the same thing for like um, other books that follow a strict doctrine of, you know, the Torah, if you're talking about Judaism or something like that. Um it was too long ago. I don't necessarily believe those counts. And at the end of the day, what they're all trying to get across is to do unto others how you would like to be done to you. Treat other, you know, there's certain things like the golden rule that are so simple. But what I feel about Buddhism is it doesn't tell you that this is how you have to live. It almost like gives you a guidebook and you can kind of figure that journey out for yourself. Some of the other religions I feel are just too, they feel like a corporation. You know, they're managed like a corporation and they have really strict rules and guidelines. You know, for years, the Catholic Church didn't let divorced people receive communion. <laughs> well, half of them are divorced. So come on, that's that's ridiculous. So, OK, now they've changed. We have a liberal pope. But yeah, to, to, to wrap up your point, uh, Buddhism and Catholic Catholicism are nowhere near close. But I would say Buddhism is not close to any other religion that I've <laughs> studied and or participated in right but but then buddhism at least for you it costs you more so than the other you know religion or whatever thing you're practicing totally and it's almost because i even i almost like don't like to put the label of religion on it it's really a philosophical way to look at life like um you know and uh I like that the stories are written almost in like parables and short stories. And yeah. I've read Schwanza and other stuff like that, that, that encompass that stuff where I, I have a hard time reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and those Testaments. And they're <laughs> saying that this exactly happened. And it's like, okay, 
But with Buddhism, they're just like, here's a situation and here's how you can approach a situation like that. It's so much more open-ended and so much more accepting, I feel, than any other religion. Right, right. It is, I, I think that is a lot more about kind of based on your own interpretation in some sense. Like they'll, um, the sto- even the stories that, you know, they, they tell it, a lot of it really revolves around, you know, a, you know, many of the points that you just made too, right? Um, yeah. You know, of course, like how you how you're reacting to situations, and then, um, and also, you know, what we start off as like be, you know, being in the moment, being present, because we, we don't we won't know, you know, if something's good or bad, because a lot of times, like we might think something is bad, but maybe it's actually really not exactly um, so so that's interesting actually that's that's interesting your background because i i'm trying to imagine like if you're having like because you know i don't know if your family is is like practicing like i'm um, obviously going to church and, and and practicing catholics and all that because if then it feels kind of like some kind of conflict right because of you maybe you and your family because you're like oh i don't really believe in this thing but i i do like buddhism you know like that totally i guess like at the end of the day the way i've come to peace with it my mom is a super super catholic person wow they she watches one channel basically and it's ewtn so she's getting masses she really oh god so i like i go to christmas mass with her and and my dad who's not religious he's more of a spiritual type guy too he's italian his dad was catholic non-practicing his mom was jewish they were more culturally Jewish, um, okay. but he, he, it, religion wasn't big for him. So it was a big deal for my mom. So that's why they raised me Catholic first communion, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. At the end of the day, the really only thing I got out of it was just like a couple cool teachings from Jesus Christ that <laughs> seemed to be a good dude. But like, I just can't like, I just think these, these stories of Noah's Ark and all these things that they're supposed to be symbolic, but some of them are supposed to be also true. Um, those are the things that kind of turn me off from religion. It seems like it's almost like a magic trick. And they were trying to, to, you know, a lot of those accounts were written 70 years after Jesus died and stuff. So let's put the historical context in there. And it's just, to me, I, I can't buy into all that stuff where Buddhism just allows you to like explore god and the spirit within yourself and that's more what i believe in i really do and that's why um even though i i'm, I'm not very experienced with buddhism i i've you know i've never i've read some books and stuff and and but i've never been a practicing buddhist it's just that type of philosophy aligns with my spirituality so i wouldn't call myself a buddhist but i really i, I try to live my life in that in that way you know okay okay um, and, you know, are, have you been able to discover anything interesting about yourself recently, you know, when you're kind of going through this sort of spiritual introspection? Yeah, I mean, it, this may, I don't know if this is too far out there, but I guess the, the most recent revelation I've believed in that has come through meditation is that like, as as much as I would almost make fun of someone who said this to me is I'm a proponent and a believer of like more of like recycling of spirits and past lives. And and when you have dreams that don't seem to make sense, it's like, is it, 
all these weird subconscious things that I see on TV in my life? Or is this maybe my soul from another, from another life? And I, I like to tend to believe the latter, that it is a soul from a different life. And, and that gives me more peace, to be honest, because it makes me feel better when I think that souls can be recycled. Otherwise, it seems very stagnant the way that like a soul, your body dies, the soul goes somewhere and then it's done. It's like, no, like, let's put that soul back into another life and, and have that journey again. And, and that it's the way it's a way that I like choose to approach the afterlife. And and because, okay. you know, that's that's one thing about religion that I think they try to sell you on is that if you follow this mantra, you'll go to this heaven, you know, you'll go to the afterlife promise. Yeah. Yeah. I don't buy into that. So (laughs) my, my, the best thing I can come up with is that you try to be as good a person as you can and reincarnate or your soul goes back to some other form. And then you, in the next life, you address the issues, hopefully that you didn't really do well in, in your previous life. Yeah. Something like that. Okay. No, that's no, that's, that's that actually is very. It's not very. I don't think it's very out there. I I think, um, you know, a lot of people believe, or deep within the spirituality, like they would believe that there are past lives. There are you know, you know, recycled soul reincarnation. Yeah. Um, but you know, of course, however, yeah, I mean, it's not far out. But however, you, you know, you could always argue that there's there there's still theories because. I mean, obviously, no one has come back alive and told you like all this, all this stuff stuff happened in the afterlife. Because we, you know, when you die, you die. You don't even know what happens afterwards, right? So, that's that's my like so that sci-fi movie idea that I think uh, I've told a lot of people about. But I'm incorporating that. It's like to the point where we're a society that's able to kind of like almost like do an archaeological dig into the human mind and the soul and you're uncovering your past lives and stuff and i think that writing is always a great avenue for me to to get my feelings out and if i end up writing a good script someday that gets made that's awesome but in the meantime it, it gives me clarity and and kind of allows me to have a creative world that i can make up and 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 create the afterlife and and the spirituality that I want to exist because I want there to be some sort of continuation. I think atheists, in my opinion, are in some respects as shallow as evangelical people or, mm. or super interpretive people of the religion. Because I think with atheism, how dare you say that you, it, being absolute and saying that nothing happens once you die is as ignorant as saying, I know that I'm going to go to heaven when I die. Cause yeah. I, like you said, no one knows Yeah, I'm somewhere in the middle, which I guess is what you'd say is agnostic, right? You believe in something, you're not hundred percent sure what, but we all know that there must be something bigger than us because it's too hard to explain with yeah. our, you know? So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I'm with you on that too. Some, some, you know, something's going on. You just don't know just because, you know, you're going to be dead yourself and then everyone else, you know, they're, they're going to be dead too. So no one's right. going to be there and tell you like, Hey, Robert, actually this happens when you die. It's like, well, how do you know we came back alive or something? What's going on? You know? Totally. Um, um, but no, I'm with you on that. Right. 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 Uh, and you, cause you know, you, you did talk about, you just stated that you, you, you know, a lot of times you'll write down, write down these kind of ideas, way to kind of express yourself. Or, or, I mean, do you always write, 
kind of write out a script, you know, story script like this, or you're just talking about just writing down kind of random ideas, random thoughts, like in a, on a notebook or something like that? It's more the latter, what you said, random ideas in a notebook, or I try to keep everything electronic now because as I okay. computers and stuff, but I used to do old school notebook. In fact, I used to have one of those old school uh, tape recorders that I'd oh. keep in the car. And it's so tedious to go back and, and do that. But that's what I did when I first moved out here. If I write a script that's a simple sitcom and stuff, it's no big deal. But if I'm trying to write something like very profound and existential, I feel that like it does take years to develop those things. And I, I piece by piece and almost like Christopher Nolan, he said that he had that idea for inception since he was a young kid and it took him 30 years to really get that out there. And I really feel that for me, I can understand that process that like, I might not be ready to write that great script yet. I might not be ready to write it till I'm 50, but I keep putting in the work. I keep talking with you in a podcast and it gives me a new idea. So in fact, after this, I'm already, um, uh, you got me percolating. I'm going to go do some writing after <laughs> for, that, for that script, actually, which I'm just so you let to let you know, I'm in an outline phase. So oh, I wow. haven't started writing pages yet, but I want to have every scene beat by beat with a summary of what happens in each scene. Because when you write something so complex, I feel if you don't have that great outline, you're going to get lost once you get to page 40 or 50. It, that that's been my experience with complex scripts like that. You need to outline them. Well, actually it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, um, you know, what you just said actually leads into my, my next question very well, mm -hmm. a very good transition because I was about to say, you know, you're, you're like a on a holiday break, you know, and you're, but you're still doing the work, you're still doing a, a writing. And, and of course you enjoy it. That I mean, I know that, but at the same time, you know how they, people always say to be in this industry, you gotta, you gotta hustle. You gotta do all that. It's, you have to like work nonstop in order to get anywhere. Do you, do you believe in that kind of culture? Do you, do you, do you think that like, okay, you, you, you do have to hustle like, to the point that you burn out in order to succeed. I mean, how do you feel about that? I, I have such mixed feelings about that because I've gone back and forth and I definitely did the cliche hustling when I started and I was writing query letters. This is before I had an agent and I was trying to, and I realized at the time I was nowhere ready. I'd written one script in hindsight. It was probably a pretty bad script looking at it. And I hustled and I hustled and I finally got people to read it. And they're like, you know, it's, okay it's not that great um so i'm not that type of person unfortunately that really hustles and self-promotes themselves and to some degree i do think that that is a negative aspect in this industry but at the same time my philosophy is i hope that they the old adage that that true talent and good work will stand out so i feel if i keep doing the work when i know that i have that script that it's really special then i can turn that button on to hustle but um, the normal hustle on just a day-to-day -day level to get work, even in reality, that is a grind and that's difficult. It's the part of the industry I hate the most. Mm. Um, I imagine there are other fields, like if you're a real estate agent, you need to market yourself. You need to do that if you're selling insurance. You know, there, There's a lot of careers where you still have to hustle and everything, but Hollywood does have that cliche notion of like, it's not, it's not uh, what you know, it's who you know. And, uh. and 
always got to be networking. And yeah. that's actually the part of Hollywood that I ended up hating the most, you know, oh. going to a room and people would judge you by they want who's your rep? What have you written? What have you done? To me, that just becomes demoralizing. And then so I when I hit my 30s, I kind of stopped hmm. that, that super hustle. And luckily, I'd established myself because I'd been doing it for five or six years at that point. So I can get jobs. But um, it's one thing in, in honesty that I probably could have hustled more and maybe even gotten further at this point. But it's like you said, would I have been happy? Would I have been happy on that journey? So um, I don't know. Um, and I am constantly redefining what my hustle is. But my hustle right now, I realize, is to get and create contents. Hmm. Keep writing, you know, because I haven't the first five or 10 years in LA, I wrote a lot. And then the last five years, I haven't written as much. And I realized I have a lot more to say now. My life experiences have changed. So, um, so write, get some good product. And then I can go back to that hustle to get that, that screenplay in front of the right eyes. But it is a catch 22. It's part of the industry. You can't deny it. Um, you have to do it. And it's sad unless you're maybe super, super, super talented. Um, you really have to market yourself. And, and that's, that's the biggest struggle actually I have in this industry. I don't like to, yeah. to, to self-promote, I guess. Right, right, right. Um, I, I guess for you, you know, personally at this stage, you're more, you're more kind of working on your own pace and, you know, what feels right. Then you go, then you can kind of go full on and do it. But, but you wouldn't just kind of like, Every day, twenty four seven. You know, you gotta be on the on the hustle ring. You gotta be working. Gotta be, you know, networking. Because I, I do feel like that that is one step closer to mental burnout. And and I yes. don't know, that's a that's a very good idea. It's so, a very it's a career that already has mental burnout and mental. I mean, psychological issues yeah. in the industry there's there's the self-doubt and and bouts of not working you can feel depressed i mean it's it's not a kind industry mentally so yeah i agree you really have to take care of yourself and make sure that your mental health is clear because um another thing i've noticed if, if my head isn't right i can't create anything yeah. that's that's worth anything i'm just anxious so i kind of have learned over the years not to say oh i'm this age and i haven't done this yet i'm you know i'm i'm so far behind it's like just take it one step at a time short term goals that lead to long term goals the means to the end so to speak right right no yeah absolutely yeah and it's it's actually kind of funny cuz yesterday uh i was reading this so i'm using this app called blinkist so this app blinkist they you could say that they're kind of like a digital version of cliff notes for, for variety, variety of books. Um, but a little bit better, like a little bit more detail. Right. And, and there's this one section that this one book was talking about is that, um, that, you know, in order to, uh, boost creativity, you, you need to take breaks. You need to take breaks because, um, so that that sort of correlates with, uh, of course, you know, with the whole hustle thing, right? Because if you're constantly doing it, you're not letting your your brain take breaks, and and is is very important because the reason why they were saying that a lot of times the reason why we 
we tend to not take the breaks that we we should is because in the corporate world, we uh, we tend to be brainwashed, meaning like brainwashed, meaning like, okay, well, if everyone's working constantly, oh, then I I should I should be doing the same too. Or or even things like, okay, well, you know, if my boss is working until like midnight, then I guess I should too. Yes. So we're we're brainwashed to kind of like a backwards logic where we think that being busy all the time and doing stuff all the time it's equals to productivity, which they actually proved that is wrong. They actually proved that taking breaks actually boosts creativity and productivity. And they even also argued that they found out there was like a study. Uh, I don't know the percentages, but they found out that actually a four day work week actually turns out is more beneficial actually for workers because workers become more productive on four day work week versus a five day work week. Right. Um, but that's been an argument for a long time because, because there are parts of the world like Europe, they, yes. they're known to have four days work, four day work weeks and they have like, you know, long weekends and there's studies saying that they're, you know, in some parts of Europe, they're like some of the happiest people uh, on, on, the, on the planet mm-hmm. um, versus, you know, in the U S where we're like overworking and hustle and all that is very common, not just for the film industry, but just for anything. And, and it's funny how, you know, that's just kind of the way how our, (laughs) our culture is like programming us to do. Yeah. Um, I think you you nailed it. I mean, I know all those studies and I know that the Scandinavian countries even with their crappy winters report the highest quality of life. And it's for those reasons. And it philosophically and, and talking on a macro perspective, I think that is the way of the future. And I, I like those studies. And even if it's not a four day work week, you could work six hours instead of a 10 hour day. Yeah. I notice sometimes when I've been working from home that I can literally accomplish in two to four hours of diligent work when I'm motivated, the same yeah. that it accomplished in a 10 hour day, just when my butt's supposed to be in a seat. And like you said, because your boss is working till 12 a.m. In this industry, from my perspective, there's so many times where there's nothing to do. You're done with your job. It's seven o'clock, but the boss is still there. And you're like, oh, I can't leave before they leave. The minute the boss leaves, everyone scurries out. And it's so (laughs) sad because you realize all these people didn't have crap to do. They were just waiting for the boss to leave so that they don't look like they're the not hard worker. And that's a perfect analogy in a uh, example of what you're talking about. The European culture has totally gotten it right. They, they have, they take vacations, they have shorter work weeks. Um, they still do okay economically. I think you'll see that shift in American, um, life in the next generation or two. And it's funny because other countries like take China, for instance, I've seen articles where they're pushing some of, uh, their industries and people to do a six day work week to get ahead, you know, like, like, so there was like this famous Chinese billionaire, I forget who he was, but he was like, almost like a, I would call him their version of uh, Elon Musk. I I don't remember the name, but he was saying that, you know, if they want to take it to the next level, that's that six day work week will be it. And then I've read studies that like, literally, it wasn't just Chinese, but a lot of Asian cultures have experienced that where like, people are literally getting sick and dying, you know, from Mm -hmm. like 
cardiac conditions and stuff because they're overworking people in 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 China and I think it was in parts of South Korea that were known to to work maniacally so and then it's funny because you'll see the shift right it used to be Europe then it was America when they were trying to get ahead they they focused on hard work and only two weeks vacation and now we're kind of realizing that that's maybe not the way to live and maybe China will will do that and then 50 years from now 100 years from now China will say oh we, it's too much work. Let's pass yeah. it on to the next power that wants to be, you know, right. up and coming. I see that being India, to be honest. Then in the future, India could be that that country. So um, I think hum, humans with artificial intelligence and stuff like that will hopefully figure it out because yeah. I personally don't think that this is the way to live, the way that we've yeah. adapted to this work lifestyle. It's too much. It's too much. Yeah. No, I agree. And and. The, the the issue there too is this there's a lot of uh, you know obviously ego and power that you want involved that's why they want to work so much right they want to jump ahead and i think that in itself is an issue too right because you you have to like look within yourself and be like okay why why do i really need to do this like what is the purpose right okay fine you get ahead you you, you become the number one power in the world but okay, well, that's great, but what's next, right? I mean, you know what I mean? Like, is, is it, like, are they trying to be, like, dom- like, domination of the world and become, like, the kings or whatever? I mean, because I just feel like that's all just very ego power driven, and I don't know if that's yeah. the right approach, to be honest, but. I think I mentioned to you, I'm a big fan of Game of Thrones. Yes. Uh, you know, from, from me, but, like, I totally agree. It's about, like, it's the modern day, it's the modern day medieval hierarchy. It's yeah, yeah. Like who can assemble the biggest army, the best technology and all this kind of stuff. It, we're not going to war with knights and, and a battlefield, yeah. but it's almost an economic uh, war field, right? It's like whose yeah. economy can get bolstered and, and at what, <clears throat> what ramifications does it have? And, and in port, for instance, like the poor people in China, seem to be exploited a lot in those factories, right? That American factory yeah. documentary that came out really showed a lot about that. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I, I did I did watch that documentary. I'm not I also have some stuff to say about it, but we won't get into that here because that's right. gonna be a while too. Um I don't I don't exactly like the perspective of that film, but but you know that's yeah that's for another time. Um yeah. okay so uh, I'm gonna actually skip forward a little bit, you know, ha- have okay. a couple other more sort of like freestyling questions that I, you know, I, I do want to, I do want to ask. So okay. these are more, these are kind of more fun questions. Nothing, nothing too, too serious. Sure. Okay. So if you, if you can create one law that everyone has to live by, what law would that be? And one law that the, the, like a universal law that everyone has yeah. to live by. That is a great, great question. And honestly, the one law that everyone has to live by, that is great. I always say like, I could change the world if I would just be in charge with like three or four ideas. But um, I would say if you make this a law, it would be like, I'd love to see people, the tax thing be reformed in a more local way, a universal tax law that's specific to 
not only your respective country, county, city, state, but I really would like smaller governments to take over because what you do in Iowa City, Iowa, with say labor laws, it should be totally different than maybe what's going on in India. But at the end of the day, I'd love to see a universal um, tax that would allow the wealth and discrepancy to be corrected in this in this world. So my 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 even though it's kind of a broad sure. question answer, the answer is basically some sort of universal tax code that distributes wealth in a, in a more fair way. And of course, someone would say that that's almost like a communist or socialist belief. But if that's what it is, if that's what it takes to help end hunger and poverty and famine, then I think I'm all for that. And right. call me, call me that if you yeah, will. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no, no. I mean, I mean, it could be broad answers and that is, you know, I mean, the point of it is, is just kind of, kind of get, get our brain juices flowing and thinking a little bit about it. I mean, of course, you know, most people, when they listen, they're like, oh, that's not, that's not possible to do that. Right. These are impossible, but, but it's, it's a fun conversation to have still. Sure. Cause sure. it's like, what could you do to change the world? Yeah. For me, it would just be like, cause you see in every country that the, the rich exploit the tax loopholes and then the people that end up paying are, are middle-class, which then gets shrunken down to, to, to lower class. And that, ends up giving you like what the feudal system used to do with serfs and servants and all that kind yeah. of stuff. So yeah, that's, I think we're still in medieval times, literally. I think we've just adapted with what we think is a more civil and right. uh, nonviolent approach, but I think it's still there in, in the, the same forms that have plagued humanity since yeah. the beginning of time, haves and have nots. So I'd love to see that law that could change and, and eliminate such a wealth and discrepancy throughout the world. Mm, okay that's very that's very uh admirable i i like that thought um but yeah we'll we'll see if that ever ever happens uh <laughs> okay so moving on to uh, i have a couple a few more and so what was what one thing that you recently you recently bought that you you instantly regretted buying oh gosh this is definitely a great question um so many things uh, but if I have to pick one, it would be, I bought this sleep aid called the Dodo and it's supposed to like, be like a light show in your bedroom to show you how to sleep. Okay. And it was pretty expensive. It was like $70 and it's supposed to like trigger your flight or flight response when you sleep. And I have a lot of, I think I told you at work and stuff, I, I sometimes can't sleep and it was a total ripoff. Um, and it was- <laughs> Um, that was definitely the main one. Cause that set me back a little bit. Um, but I'm very savvy with my consumer purchases and I do a lot of, uh, research. So, um, I was disappointed in myself, like, you know, I'll buy a robot vacuum and I will research the hell out of it and yeah. it'll be a good robot vacuum, but I didn't research this and, uh, and it, I lost a hundred bucks basically. Wait, first of all, like why, why was it a total ripoff and why did you do research on it? So it was because of, it, they were having a flash sale and it was like, buy two, buy one, get one 50% off. My friend also had trouble sleeping. So I kind of like gave into the peer pressure. She ordered it and then I got it from her. Uh-huh. And then um, what was the first part? Why was it such a bad? Uh, <laughs> yeah, it was a total ripoff. <laughs> it just doesn't work for me. It you doesn't. Know? And my, the only thing that I did wrong was that I didn't try it 
fast enough. So I couldn't return it. So now I'm like, <laughs> this thing, and I'm like, do I re gift it to someone or do I give it another chance? But it's, I like to fall asleep with like the TV on. Maybe that's part of my problem. They say that's bad, but I felt so weird just lying in silence, looking at a light show. Um, I should have Googled it at least, but it was, it was a brutal purchase, you know, wow. and I've made big purchases lately. I bought a, a new MacBook. Okay. I've bought a bunch of gadgets, um, but all those I don't regret that sleep aid. I totally regret <laughs> And I almost bought an Oculus, that new gaming system, oh. but it was like, I don't know if I, I think it's a good deal and it's fun, but it, we we're talking about, you know, maximizing productivity and time. And I felt that that would just be a, a waste of my, my time. And I feel like I need to play it because it costs like $500 or something. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure that Oculus is probably would be a better purchase than the sleep aid, if anything. Yes. I probably would have had much more fun with it and I just would have less time to do other stuff okay that's interesting okay you know yeah i need to look up this light show sleep aid thing too because i am kind of curious like it, i'm just thinking in my head like i never even heard of that kind of stuff but okay yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna send it to you just now in the chat thread so you can see it <laughs> interesting okay google oh down oh, okay no, no. No, I, no. Hope I don't get sued by them no, I think you'll be fine. I don't think you will, but yeah, no doubt sleep aid. Now it's gone down to like $60, and they have three packs for uh $117, and I got the two pack, and that's mm -hmm. why I got I got roped into it. Okay. And then you said your friend also used it and it didn't work either for, for didn't her? work for her either. Yeah. Oh my god. I know. <laughs> it's okay, it's okay. It happens. We we it all happens, buy, right? Yeah. I mean we all buy, buy stupid stuff, I'm sure, but Okay. Um, what, so I guess this is the last question. Cause we, we are starting to run out of time here. Sure. What's the, I guess, um, if you can remember, it doesn't have to be from your childhood, but even recent, what was a very, uh, awkward situation that you've been in and why was that awkward? And it, does it have to be professional or it could be no, any, could be anything. Um, gosh, I feel like my life is like Larry David and Curb Your Enthusiasm. I'm oh. constantly in awkward situations, but I'll put it in perspective. Um, I'm from a small community and I'm back in town and they basically asked me to come in and speak to my high school oh. and, um, I was totally okay with it, but I was put on the spot and they asked me about how my Christianity and all this stuff affects. And I basically on the spot had to, I, instead of lying and saying, Oh yeah, I'm a super Catholic. I was just honest. And I'm like, <laughs> it doesn't work for me. And, and let's just say they didn't ask me back to speak at the next career day. Um, <laughs> and it was so awkward, but I'm really proud of myself because I didn't just give in. And maybe there was a student there that needed to hear like, yeah, this isn't, I feel that this is bullshit too. And this guy found like Buddhism or other spirituality yeah, yeah. type thing. So I, I went against the grain of my Catholic high school and it got to the point now where I'm seen around town as like the fake Catholic. Cause oh, I'm from really? that small town community. So even yesterday when I went to get coffee um, with a friend, I saw someone from my high school and they had organized the event and they didn't speak to me. So oh, I'm no. in a state of perpetual awkwardness uh, due to staying true to my religious uh, philosophy. And I'm proud of myself for that. 
So, oh god, yeah, that is kind of awkward. Is it like is it like total silence when you said that? And the- total silence, like, and then the the moderator who was like, I think the guidance counselor, like, quickly shifted gears and or tried to get me to backpedal, but I wouldn't. And it was just so it felt like I was Larry David in one of those things <laughs> when he gets caught in a situation because he's like Jewish, but he's not really practicing and he eats bacon. And it was like my Larry David moment for my Catholic high school. Well, I mean, I guess the uh, the other perspective is you're only going to be there for maybe another week, then you're coming back to LA. So I guess that's okay. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm only here for like a month or so. So, um, but it's in a weird way, it's a little reminding of what life could be like had I stayed here and never mm. my dreams. Yeah. Um, so it actually gets me to reflect on other things because it's like, thank God I went to pursue my dreams. Otherwise, I'd be in this town of 100,000 people where I'd be labeled as like the, the anti-religious guy. <laughs> oh, no. Um, but that's, that's, that's a great way to end it, actually. That's a great story. That's a great moment. Um, Thanks, I, love, I love for everything you, you know, you, you've mentioned. We talked about Robert. I really appreciate it. It's been uh, it's been a, it's been a fun conversation. Um, definitely would love to have you back at some point in time, you know, for like a little part two, but you know, we'll see down the road. Um, yeah, that'd be great. It was my first podcast. I was super stoked. And thanks for having me on, man. Thank you. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, cause I know, you know, you, you even make the day available today too, just to, to drop by. So I appreciate that. Uh, yes. I love your podcast. I like how you're combining all this stuff with the entertainment industry, but from a philosophical and existential spiritual element, I think it's just what the world needs. So I love talking entertainment, but just as much about life and, and philosophy of how we approach our existence. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's really more just, just hearing different, different stories, different from different people. So it may not always be about like entertainment or people even in the industry, right? It's right. It could be really anyone. Cause I, I, I believe that, you know, everyone, no matter how big or small, they, they have a story, they have something to say. Absolutely. And cause each person, you know, we're shaped by different experiences. So they probably could know something that I don't know and then vice versa. And, and yeah, that's, that's for me is always, always a joy to kind of listen to different people. And, and, um, but yeah. And so it was great listening to you talk, you know, hear your stories and, and, and everything. And uh, we, you know, we hope to have you back at some point and uh, thank you everyone out there who's listening. And, you know, if this is the first time you're listening, then go check out the other episodes or, you know, have a bunch already. Um, I think I think everyone will get a good kick out of them and, and get some good lessons in there too. So um, yeah, so thank you everyone. Uh, we'll be back very soon, maybe you know as soon as next week, hopefully. So thank you very much and uh, have a nice one, everyone. <laughs>